23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep, and his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Father, we come to you, and I pray that you would bless the message this morning, and Lord, use it to draw our hearts closer to you. And Father, we are a needy people this morning, and many have come, and they've gone out in weather that hasn't been the nicest, and they've given of their time this morning, Lord, not to hear me say something about your word, but they've come this morning to hear from you. I pray that you would help us to hear what your word says to us this morning, that we would grasp the truth of it. And that it would be something that will be life-changing, that would alter our conduct and draw our hearts to be more in tune and more in love with you. That we would want to honor you and give uh, everything that we have to bring glory to your name. I pray that you would use the preaching of your word this morning to do its work in our hearts that is needful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus has, at this point in his earthly ministry, uh, really kind of just begun. We have just come from the time in Matthew of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I love reading through that. By the way, it's interesting for me as I read in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and following, uh, as he gives this great sermon, uh, how much he turns the modern philosophy of that day uh, up on its head, and how that he comes in pretty much is saying that you have heard this, but I'm saying, and he would give the exact opposite. Uh, he would say, you know, for instance, you've heard that it's an eye for an eye, but he says, I'm telling you, be forgiving, and so on. He goes on and on and on. He tells us about the similitudes that uh, were a city that is set on a hill, a candle that uh, is to be put on a candlestick, that we're to be salt that has not lost its savor, and on and on and on. He goes through the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. And one of the great, I believe, sermons that teach us as God's people how we ought to live. And in a way that would bring glory and honor to Him. If we could emulate what He teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, we would be able to say that we have a life that is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find this great sermon that we would look at and say in the day that it was preached, it was something of a novelty to the people, even the religious leaders of the day, that they had thought other, other of the philosophy uh, that Jesus was teaching and preaching on and the truth that he was giving. And we live in a day, I believe, so much like what Jesus encountered at that point, where many times the world we live in calls what is right wrong, and calls what is wrong right. And there's no doubt about it in my mind. And the Bible says, Woe unto him that calleth evil good and good evil. And uh, we've got to be careful of the day that we live in. 
and he gets done preaching this powerful message, and uh, we find that he um, comes to a, a place where he com- he uh, does several miracles. We find those in the early part of chapter number eight as he heals a leper. And uh, it's interesting to me uh, how often we read scripture. And it doesn't seem to to amaze us. It doesn't seem to cause us uh, to have an awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because we've read it before and we know uh, that miracles are common to the Lord Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry. But can I tell you this? There's nothing common about a miracle. It is supernatural. I was talking with somebody just this week that God still does miracles. God still does the supernatural. And isn't it wonderful to us as we rejoice in what God does when He does it in such a way that we cannot explain it by men? The only answer we have is God did it. Several years ago, many years ago, been when I was a teenager actually, my uncle had a tumor in his stomach. I was sharing this with somebody just this week. I don't tell people this story probably near as often as I should. But had a tumor in his stomach. They had done uh, the CAT scans, and it was about the size of a cantaloupe. It was in the uh, abdomen area, and they were going to have to do surgery. And uh, they had got people all around the world praying, all around the country and all around the world praying for him. And uh, several weeks and months leading up to the surgery and everything, and the uh, short time before, about a week or ten days before, they had done a scan to see the uh, tumor and find out where it was at, a very large tumor in the stomach. And then the day of the uh, uh, surgery came, and they went to do a final CAT scan to get the size of the tumor. And uh, they came back after a lengthy period of time and said, our equipment is out of calibration, and it didn't do right, so we've got to do another CAT scan. They did this two or three times, and finally the doctor came in and said, we've got a problem, and he said, we can't explain it. But he says, our machinery is calibrating exactly the way it should, and yet we cannot find a sign of any tumor or sign that there has ever even been a tumor in your stomach. And we look at things like that. And it's easy for us to say, well, there's got to be an explanation for it. But why can't we as God's people just say God was God? God did something that was great, and God did something that was supernatural. And I feel that sometimes we get uh, to this place where we have faith, don't we? Uh, as God's people, we have faith. To trust Him. And have you ever thought about how much faith it takes to do this? What we're doing is we're taking all of our faith and saying, if I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to have my sins forgiven, if I'm going to escape hell, the payment of my sin, I've got to take every ounce of faith I have and put it only on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't take my faith and divide it up and say, okay, I'm going to put about half of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe a third of it on my good deeds and maybe uh, maybe another uh, portion of it to put on uh, my church membership. But no, God expects us for us to be saved, to take our faith in its entirety and say, Lord, I'm trusting you and you alone. And if you are not who you say you are, and if you've not done what you've said you've done, then I'm lost. Because you're the only one that I am trusting to take me to heaven when I die. And I fear so often that we as God's people are guilty of having a wrong view of God. Perhaps a distorted view of God. Because it never ceases to amaze me how we are comfortable putting our faith in God for the eternal destiny of our soul. 
And yet there are so many other frivolous things that we seem to not trust Him for. We get to this point in time, the disciples have watched notable miracles take place. They've heard the powerful preaching of the Sermon on the Mount. and they're, Could you imagine coming to a church service like this this morning? And instead of Brother Greg, our guest speaker this morning would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you imagine how our hearts would be stirred by every word that he spoke? That's what the disciples experienced. They've watched him as he's cleansed a leper. They've watched him as he heals the servant of a centurion. They see as Peter's mother-in-law is healed miraculously, supernaturally. And then we get to where we read in verse number 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. I don't know about you, but if I had seen and heard what they had seen and heard, I think I'd be following him too. Would you agree with me on that? Why is it when we have read about what was done, we don't follow him? When we hold that this book is true in its entirety, and we read the account that he's preached and he's taught the Sermon on the Mount, that he's done the miracles, why is it that it's so difficult for you and I to follow him daily? The disciples, they weren't going to miss it. I can only imagine if I was there, I'd be like, man, what else is he going to do? I'd be watching him all the time. I mean, if he moved out of my sight, I'd be like, I don't want to miss it. What's he going to do? What's going to be next? It would be an exciting thing, wouldn't it? And yet we read through these pages and we yawn through them as we've heard the stories before. We kind of expect that Jesus is going to do miracles and we have a small view of him because of it. Here he gets into a ship. The Bible says his disciples follow him. And behold, there arose a tempest in the sea. Insomuch, notice this, that the ship was what? It was what? The ship was covered. That's what the Bible says. Look with me, verse 24. The ship was what? It was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. By the way, probably one of the most profound and simple prayers that accomplished great things. Our prayers don't have to be wordy and lengthy. They just simply need to be fervent. We find that these disciples are at their wit's end. They're at the end of their rope. They're nervous. They're worried. Well, as we become critical of them, they had just seen the miracles. They had just heard the teaching, and yet they're worried, and they're crying out and asking their master to save them. And he says in verse number 26, And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? I'm going to tell you this right now. I look at the disciples, and I think, boy, they had so much more faith than I had. If their faith was considered little in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ, how must my faith look? And the truth is, how must your faith look? O ye of little faith, then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And I want you to notice the next statement in verse number 27. But the men marveled 
saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I want you to remember that phrase, and we're going to move on down through the passage. We're going to come back to this phrase in just a minute. When he was come to the other side, into the country of uh, the uh, Gergenses, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fear, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything that was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. And he entered into a city, uh, into a ship, and passed over and came into his own city. And they behold, and behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying in a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, you ought to underline that. That's not our message this morning. But boy, there's a lot in this. Said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. I have said often in this passage, the great miracle here was not that he was healed from the palsy. The great miracle here, and the notable miracle of Matthew 9, was that Jesus forgave the man his sins. In fact, if you read the passage and you understand the context of verse number 6, it almost sounds as though Jesus would have forgiven the man his sins and gone on his way. That for the benefit of those who doubted, he then said to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But notice this, we would look around today and I've shared the the story of my uncle who had the tumor just disappear and it was gone and they can't even find scar tissue of it. And we go, boy, what an amazing thing that was. But can I tell you this, even a greater miracle than that is that Jesus forgave you of your sin and that Jesus forgave me of my sin. That is the great miracle. He goes on to say in verse number 7, And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. I want you to notice three things that are said here in the end of chapter 8 and first part of chapter 9, because I believe that it will help us to understand how easy it is for you and I to have a wrong view of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. How we can get to the place where we are fearful and owe us of little faith. Because I want you to notice as we look at the end of chapter number 8, as we get to verse number 26 and 27, 
that he said, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, but the men marveled, saying, What manner of... What's the next word here? What manner of man is this? These disciples, these followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, at this point in His earthly ministry, knew Him as nothing more than a man. In fact, the truth is that today as we sit here, the lack of faith that you and I have is a direct result of the fact that we try to take the Lord Jesus Christ and fit Him into a finite mind of comprehension that you and I have. We try to make Him a man. Even though in the back of our minds we know He was all God, there are still times that we think that God, (coughs) excuse me, that the Lord Jesus Christ has limitations. And can I say this? I was talking with somebody just this week. But it's hard for us to comprehend this. That there was a time when creation was not in existence, that God stepped out on nothing, and He merely spoke, and the Bible says, and it was what? So. And we look at that, and He does this for six days, as He says, let there be light, and there was light, and it was so. And and, and he said, let there be dry land, let there be waters, let there be animals, let there be plants, let there be... And then on the sixth day, he goes and he forms man out of the dust of the ground. And he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And the Bible says, and on the seventh day, the Lord what? Rested. And in our minds, if we are not careful, we will think that all of that that God created by the word of His mouth, expended energy. That He was less powerful after it was all over than He was when He started. Because that's the way you and I think, isn't it? I wake up in the morning, I'm refreshed, I'm ready to go. And I work a full day, and by the end of the day, I'm dragging. Because I have expended my energy. I have expended my strength. And if we're not careful, we will get into our minds that God is limited. Can I tell you this morning that God had not expended any of His power in the creation of, God, uh, of uh, in the process of creation? He used His power, but it was not expended. It was never it was never gone. He is all powerful. And the truth is, as we learn more and more about the creation and about the universe, and we understand the magnitude of it, can I tell you this that we are guilty many times of thinking God to be much smaller than He is. In fact, we look at this great world. I was I was thinking even this week, talking with somebody just this week about how how magnificent. Our creation is in its magnitude. But even when you get it under a microscope, it's magnificent. When you look at the smallest things of the universe, it's unbelievable. And yet God did all of that by speaking, and it didn't even exert Him. He didn't even get to the end of the day and go, Whew, that's all I can do today. I'm going to have to wait till tomorrow. Why? Because He's God. He's not man. And I want you to notice what the Bible says here in verse 27. But the men, these speaking of his disciples, 
But the men what? They marveled. Mm. Man, who is this guy? That even the winds and the waves. Wow. Boy, that's something. I mean, did you just see what I saw? He stood up and he told the wind to stop. And guess what the wind did? It stopped. He, he just told the waves, to, that the ones that are crashing over the boat, the ones that we're thinking were perishing. He told them to lay down. And guess what they did? They laid down. And they're looking at that. I'm sure their eyes were huge. I'm sure they're looking at each other. Who is this guy? Now I want you to notice what's said here in verse number 28 and 29. When they got to the other side, when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergenses, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce so that no man might pass this way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou what? Hmm. It's not the two men that are speaking here. It's the demons that have possessed them. Isn't it sad that the demonic forces of this world have a far better view of God many times than you and I have? You say, Brother Greg, that's, that's a harsh thing to say, but it's true. They know Him to be God. They tremble. They cry out. Thou Son of God, art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Now I want you to notice as we get to chapter number 9. He enters into the ship. He finds this man of the palsy. He forgives him of his sin, which is the great miracle. Then he heals him of his palsy. And notice what is said in verse number 7. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they what? They marveled and glorified God which had given such power unto men. Can I help you with something this morning? And I hope this will, this will help us a little bit. The disciples had seen God do miracles. They had seen the leopard cleanse. They'd seen the centurion's servant healed. They'd seen Peter's mother-in-law healed. And yet they marveled when he spoke in the wind and the waves calm. He heals a, a palsy man and he forgives him of his sin. And the Bible says the multitude marveled that God would give such power unto men. And the problem that these men had and the problems that the multitude had and the problems that his disciples had were that they had a wrong view of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. The Lord Jesus Christ is all God. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with him, with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was light, and light, the light was the life of men, live men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. 
This is the God of the universe that spoke the worlds into existence and was not exhausted by it. This was the God who framed all of the galaxies and knows the stars by name. And He's not exhausted by it. He's not depleted by it. And yet when many times we say, Lord, I believe that You can save me from my sin. And by the way, can I just say this this morning? If you're sitting here today and you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. Can I tell you this? God's made a way for you. And it's free. That's the best part of it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. My son's excited about that because he doesn't like to work or earn anything. That's human nature, isn't it? It's free. He gives it to you freely because he loves you. And all you've got to do is say, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Him and Him alone. I'm not trusting anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Years ago, a fellow approached me, had done a doctoral dissertation, and wanted me to print it in our printing ministry down in Florida. I said, well, that'd be great. I said, what's the title of it? He said, The Other Ways to Be Saved. I said, brother, I'm not interested. There's only one. Can I tell you this? God sure loves you. If you're here this morning, you're not saved. Can I encourage you? Get that matter settled today. About 12 or 14 years ago, I was down in Florida. I was pastoring down there. We had a Haitian ministry and a Spanish ministry. Each of them had, a Span- each of them had their own pastors in their own language. Our, our Haitian ministry ran probably about 100 folks from Haiti. And one day uh, after church, one of our dear Haitian members loved the Lord. Uh, just lived about three or four blocks down from our church. His car had broken down that day, and he went out the driveway and was walking down. A few of our people passed him, pulled up, said, Would you like a ride home? He said, No, I'm just right up here. Before he got home that day, a car struck him and killed him. He woke up that morning getting ready for church. He was excited to get there. He loved the Lord. And he had no thought in his mind when he woke up that morning, today is my last day on this earth. By the way, you and I did the same thing this morning. We woke up this morning. Probably did not give any thought that today could be my last day on earth. You say, Brother Gregory, are you trying to scare me? No, I'm trying to say, if you're going to get saved, you do it now. Because we are not guaranteed another day. You get it done today. But I want us to understand this this morning. That as God's people, we've got to come back to a proper view of who God is. It's amazing to me how much we say we trust Him. And we do with our spiritual condition. I trust Him for my salvation. I trust Him that what he says in this book is true and right and that it is the rule for my life. I'm trusting that. But why is it that the small things I cannot seem to trust him for? In fact, sometimes I don't even want to. There are times I say, Lord, I can handle this part. And don't we do that? We get to the end of our day and we realize that 
I tackled a big thing today. And not one time asked for the Lord to help with it or for His guidance on it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in every part of our life we could ask Him and seek Him? Every part. I I think that's what the Bible refers to when it says that we are to walk in the Spirit. That we are to be guided Ephesians chapter number 4, the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We are to be led by the Spirit in such a way that it could be compared to a drunken man being controlled by the alcohol that he's drunken with. I'm not saying you go around staggering. I'm saying that in every point of our life we say, Lord, what do you want? Lord, how do you want me to address this? How do you want me to live? Lord, I need your help on this. For without God, the Bible says, we can do nothing. Why is it then that we do not have the proper view of Him? You say, Brother Greg, I think I do. I I trust Him for my salvation. I have devotions every day. I walk with God every day. But are we acknowledging Him in every part of our life? Or are there some things that we say, you know, I can handle this one. I heard one fellow put it this way. He said, we almost act like God is an Aladdin's lamp genie. That we keep him in his lamp and we put him on the shelf until we need him. And then we come rushing to him and say, Lord, help me. Why not make him the part of every day? Why not make him the central part of our lives? Why not do as John said and abide in Him and live in Him? Oh, that He would have the central focus of our lives. Do we have a proper view of Him? The truth is, when God does something in our lives, are we amazed by it because we wonder what manner of man this is? Or do we see Him as the Son of God? God Himself. I want to encourage you to have a proper view of God. It will change, by the way, the way you look at the Bible and what it tells us to do or not do. The commands of God all of a sudden will seem precious to us, not grievous. We'll get to a point when the Bible tells us we ought not do something. We don't, we don't bristle at it. We embrace it. Why? Because He's God. He's God. He's the one that created me. He's the one that made me. He's the one that loved me. He's the one that saved me. Oh, that we'd have a proper view of Him. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. If there's someone here today, Lord, that does not know You as their Savior, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to their heart and to their life. May they get that matter settled today before it's too late. Lord, none of us are guaranteed another day. Not one of us. So, Father, if that be the case, I pray that you would bring conviction, help them to see that need. Lord, we would not embarrass anyone. We would rejoice with them. Lord, what a joy it would be to see someone trust you as their Savior who did not know. Father, for Christians today, the truth is, to some degree, all of us, from time to time, tend to put you in a a box 
that we can understand. And the truth is, Lord, you're infinite. May our faith be strengthened. May our trust in you for beyond things such as our salvation be strengthened. We can have boldness. We can labor in serving you with full assurance and belief that you will strengthen us and accomplish the work in us and through us. Bless the invitation and speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have just a verse or two of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, would you come this morning? Maybe there's someone here that needs to be saved and trust Christ as their Savior. I would encourage you to come forward. We'll take the Bible. I promise I won't embarrass you. But we'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can be saved today. Maybe some Christians that just say, I need to have a proper view of God again. I need to give Him His rightful place in my life, and my mind, and my heart. Whatever the need is, would you come as the piano and organ begin to play? All right, you may lift your heads. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Let me encourage you in a couple things. First of all, uh, invite some folks to come with you, would you, for next Sunday. Um, it would be a great opportunity, especially if you know somebody that's lost. It would be a great opportunity for them to hear a great presentation of the gospel. Secondly, uh, I want to encourage you to stay for our 1 o'clock service. We have lunch downstairs available. We've got plenty of food for everybody, so feel free to stay around and uh, have lunch with us. Or if you want to run quickly and get a bite, that's fine, too. But we'd like to encourage you to be back with us at 1 o'clock as well and always have a good time around the Lord's Word. Uh, normally in, uh, on Sunday afternoons, we try to give some practical helps in the Christian life. 
uh, things that just will help us not just know the why, but also to know the how. How we go about doing these things. And so a lot of times on Sunday afternoons, that's a, it's a very practical preaching time, and want to encourage you in that. And um, then be praying that God will bless. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we've begun just a, probably about an eight-week or so uh, period of time where we're dealing again with our priorities, our, prince, our purpose of a church, and uh, our priorities of a church, philosophy of a church, and why we do what we do from a biblical perspective. And I want to encourage you, if you've not gone through that, I did that about two years ago with our church, and if you've not been here for those uh, lessons, I would encourage you to come and be a part of that so you know a little bit more from a biblical perspective uh, why we approach things the way we do, what we're uh, trying to accomplish as a church uh, that we believe that the Bible teaches is what we ought to be doing. And so I want to encourage you on that on Wednesday nights as well. And uh, then we're going to be dismissed in a word of prayer. We'll go ahead and pray for the food downstairs. So once you get down there, you can go ahead and uh, start eating. And uh, we'll thank the Lord for the food up here as well. And visitors, let me say thank you for being with us today. And again, if there's any way we can be of help to you, please let us know that. And then as we're dismissed, we do still have some that are praying. So keep that in mind as you fellowship around this afternoon. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it, use it. May we leave with it upon our hearts and our minds and meditate upon it. Lord, that we would have a proper view of who you are. And Lord, even as much as we try to comprehend and understand all of who you are, we know that really until we get to heaven, we'll not know fully. But I pray that that during this life, that we would have a right view of who you are. I pray that you'll dismiss us now with your blessings. Bless the food and the fellowship to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.